Hello everyone, this is Roberta Crosley and this is the podcast Unique You. It's a podcast where we're going to talk about everything we want to know about the female universe. Period talks, holistic therapies, relationships, taboos, everything is welcome here. We are going to approach all these subjects with a curious mind, an open heart and ready to learn. Come on, let's go! Hello everyone, I'm so happy that you join us today because today is such a special episode for me because I am passionate about our menstrual cycle and how we can do things to support ourselves during each every phase of it and today i'm going to be talking with solaine uh, all about nutrition and how we can link what we eat and what our body needs to have an easier menstrual cycle not so many symptoms pains and discomforts and so i'm so excited to share this beautiful information with you so welcome solaine Thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation today. So thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Um, to start off, we're going to just to try to understand a little bit more about you. So if you could define yourself in three words, what would they be? So funny. I looked at this question a couple of minutes ago and I actually messaged my partner to ask him. <laughs> And he came back with uh, adventurous and empathetic. And I would add in that I'm very sort of determined and resilient. Oh, that's nice. It's, I always find it's a tricky one uh, because we find, wow, it's so hard when we have to define ourselves in such a small manner because we are so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a tricky one. So tell me something you're really passionate about it and why. Um, I think obviously what we're talking about today, anything really women's health related and particularly around the menstrual cycle is areas I'm very passionate about and that's completely what my business is. So, um, you know, when you're running a business like that, it kind of becomes an extension of you. So I'd say that's the biggest um, area that I'm passionate about and why I guess goes back to, it really would have started with my own personal experience. And then when I started consulting with women, um, in clinic, I just really realized that my story and my experience wasn't an anomaly, that there were so many other women who had experienced similar things or were going through the same thought processes that I was um, all those years ago when I sort of started learning about nutrition and um, and health in general. And yeah, I think it's just made me realize that whilst it's been so many years, um, you know, since I sort of had my uh, catalyst moment, if that's what you want to call it, that a lot of those things haven't changed, unfortunately. And, you know, women's health in general has obviously come a very long way as to where it was 15, 20 years ago, but there is still a very large gap. And I just love that in my day-to-day work at the moment, um, I get to be able to help people to bridge that gap. Yeah. I always say, like, we teach from our wounds, 
So once they are bleeding and when they heal, we are able to teach others. And then we see that there are so many other people that are in similar situations. And it's like looking for the care that we once needed and providing it for other people. Yeah, definitely. It's so true. And I think that's part of why we go through hardships and adversities and things like that in life is so that we are able to, you know, shorten the distance that maybe someone else has to go through that because we're they're able to learn from us. Exactly. Because I feel like sometimes when you you see someone and you think like, oh, it seems so easy, you know, like you're doing this. But actually to get to that point maybe was like so many years of preparation, study, suffering, and then you're able to kind of you know, give bite size to other people because you already prepared everything before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what's your favorite book or TV series? What you're watching at the moment and why you think we should dive into that as well? Oh, um, I struggle with these sorts of questions because I change my mind all the time. But I just read a really great book called um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. I think everyone should read that. And it's really just all about sort of separating yourself from what's going on in your mind and, um, yeah, just being more you, I guess. And TV series, I mean, I always try, I don't really like anything too heavy because if I am choosing to watch TV, it's, you know, because I sort of want to rest my brain and escape a little. So I would say my favorite TV series recently was Sex Education. Um, it's just really funny and entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I saw some people talking about that. Maybe I should have a look. I always get so many good tips here <laughs> of what people are watching and reading. It's always refreshing because I feel sometimes we are so conditioned to see and to read the same things always. So when you get a different perspective and someone who shares with you, it's good because of that. It's good because it's light and fun. You feel like, oh, actually, I'm going to take a pic. And it just expands your your perspective of everything. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. It's good to mix things up. Yeah. And um, thinking about, you know, like nutrition, your passion, and a little bit of your, like, why did you decide to do that? Can you walk me through how your journey with nutrition started and why? Yeah, definitely. So I, I mean, officially it sort of started when I was in my early twenties, but when I think back, it probably started much younger than that because, um, I, I grew up in, um, Byron Shire, which if anyone knows where that is, it's, you know, um, characteristically quite an alternative area. Um, and my mum sort of, um, I guess, experience with food and education around food was definitely that. So when I was very young, I, one of my, oh, my dad passed away um, from bowel cancer. And off the back of that, my mum dove right into the nutrition, health side of things. And, you know, whilst what she was learning and eating is quite different to what I would be doing now, she was really um, educating herself on that. And really in our home, there was like no packaged and processed foods. Everything was 
um, pretty much organic or grown in the garden. And just for context, like say if um, she didn't drink milk, but I used to drink cow's milk as a child and she wouldn't buy it from the supermarket, she would actually go and collect it fresh from the dairy before it was um, pasteurized. And um, yeah, all of our produce was really in that same vein. So like the best quality that you could get, um, the freshest and very low like grains, low sugars, all of that. So say, for example, as a treat on the weekend as a child, I was allowed to have some organic cloudy apple juice from the health food store, which I just think is really funny now when you see see what kids get um, fed all throughout the week. So that was sort of my upbringing. And I do think that that has played a big part in um, me sort of me being more drawn to say nutrition over naturopathy or something like that. Um, And my mom is also French as well. So just culturally for her, food um, was always a really big, important part of our life that was always celebrated. Um, And yeah, always something that was an activity that we would do together, say was like cooking or baking and those sorts of things. So I think it started quite early on. And then as I got to my teens, you know, this story as well is not uncommon where you start to gain a little bit more autonomy and sort of self-direction of what you're eating and who you're hanging out with and all of that kind of thing. So that would have happened around sort of 14, 15 years old. And I'd say, you know, whilst when I was at home, I was eating reasonably well. Um, If I was out and hanging out with friends, I was kind of just um, eating whatever, you know, obviously by then my mom didn't have as much of a sort of say or input as to what was going in my mouth. And, um, I think when you've been brought up, oh, it can go multiple ways, but, you know, been brought up so healthy like that, I guess I sort of, um, pushed against that a little bit and, and sort of would eat, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, and around that time as well. So it would have been around, um, I actually, went vegetarian quite young for a couple, two years or so, maybe around seven or eight, and then went back to eating um, meat again. And then I went vegetarian again around, say, 15. And I was vegetarian until about um, 21, 22, something like that. Um, and another thing happened around that time. So I also started taking the oral contraceptive pill. Um, and I also had a lot of stress in my teen years. And that's really where my health took quite a sharp decline. I was getting tonsillitis, um, you know, four to five times a year, lots of antibiotics. Um, and then I had also, um, become quite underweight. And so it was just not the best, um, picture of health throughout my later teens. And then when I finished school, I went overseas for a number of years and I think you've possibly heard this story before. Um, I stopped taking the oral contraceptive pill when I was over there and I just didn't get a menstrual cycle back and sort of um, six months went by, 12 months went by, got to 18 months and finally by two years, I was at the two-year mark, I'd come return to Australia and I was working full-time in Sydney and thought like, you know, two, it's been two years now, it's definitely there's a bit of an issue here and none of my friends were struggling with similar issues. So I um, decided I would do something about it. And I went to see a women's health GP in my local area. So I would have just found her through, you know, the Googles or something like that. 
and um, yeah, looked her up, went to see her and told her what I was going through. Said, you know, I've been off the pill for two years. I have no period. I'm around, I must've been say 19 or 20 or something at the time. And, um, and she said, you know, that's fine. We'll send you off for some blood tests and just to make sure we'll do an internal pelvic ultrasound as well. So I had a referral for that and I went and had that done and my bloods um, and was told that the pelvic ultrasound was fine and looked really normal. There was no issues. Um, And then in regards to the testing that I'd had done, I was told again that my hormones were fine and that there was really nothing that they could do, that my situation wasn't uncommon and that their best advice was for me to just go back on the oral contraceptive pill and just, you know, wait until I wanted to have kids later in my life and then go off and I guess sort of cross my fingers and hope for the best at that time. I don't know. I wasn't really given much information around that. I was just handed a script and, um, you know, told to go off and start taking it again. So I walked out of her office that day, honestly, just feeling so deflated. I had a script for the pill, which is not what I wanted. And I didn't really know much about any of this at that point. Um, but I knew, I guess that the pill wasn't the answer for me. Um, I thought, well, if I don't even have a period, why why would I start taking it again? Mm -hmm. And, um, per chance I sort of met a naturopath and my mum obviously had been very much into the natural health side of things growing up. So I always had that um, in the background, but I'd never really had that firsthand experience with a naturopath or anything like that before this point in time. And so I told her about my issues and she said, look, come and see me and bring your blood test results and we'll go through all of it together. We'll go through your diet. We'll, you know, we'll cover it all. And so I went to see her and she looked at my test and I can just remember her sort of scoffing at the results and saying like, are you serious? Did they tell you this was fine? Your hormones look like you've gone through menopause. And it's obviously not what you want to hear at 20. Um, And so we went through a lot of different things. We went through my day-to-day nutrition, what I was eating. So still vegetarian at the time and working full-time at that time as well. You know, I was... 20. So I was definitely partying and, um, having a great time living in a new city. And, um, you know, I didn't really have anything that I was particularly passionate about per se. I was kind of just in that routine of like working and then you're waiting for the weekends. Mm -hmm. Um, and we went through so many different things. So we covered made lots of changes to my nutrition. Um, we uh, we did introduce some herbal supplements and also some, some different nutrients as well because we did more testing and found I had a couple of deficiencies. Um, and then she got me to do actually a whole bunch of other sorts of exercises like around, I guess, yeah, um, exploring things that interest me and looking at I don't know, cooking and all of these things. So it was really in that I process that I started learning about food. And then as a result of that, getting back into cooking like I'd done with my mum for so long. And I just loved it so much. And actually within, it was a couple of months. So from memory, maybe around three to four months, I actually got my period back um, and have had a period ever since. Um, 
And that whole experience, I remember going back to her about six months later or something and I'd seen her every month or so and just saying like, I think I think I want to do what you do. And um, yeah, that was that was really it. And she encouraged me. She told me about everything she did. And then I basically just packed up my life in Sydney and moved um, back up to northern New South Wales and the Gold Coast and started studying and that's sort of like the rest is history I guess through my own experience and um it completely changed my life like it wasn't just the nutrition and health side of things that changed for me that was kind of like the catalyst and then so many other things I changed and have continued to for the rest of these years following that's so interesting I'm so sorry about your dad and I think probably was like a big trauma for your family and how everything probably unfolded after that mm. and I completely understand you saying like you grew up in this environment that your mom was building really focusing on eating really healthy and clean but we when we are teenagers we want to do things for ourselves right we want to test mm -hmm. the waters and see what is for me and not through the eyes of someone else so I think that's completely normal that we kick back and we want things to be different to that for sure yeah. for sure and when you're that age you think your parents don't know anything right <laughs> oh, yeah. yes and um i was just thinking yes i see this of uh, missing periods so much and i feel like sometimes it's just so easy for people just to medicate us and to say oh just use the pill the pill is going to regulate your menstrual cycle and i feel like oh my gosh how can you how can you say that how can you do this to us how can you numb our body to that you know extent and to think that that's the solution for for everything for like acne for everything that you should you should do right yeah definitely i mean i think there's a big issue I would say around women's health, but I don't think it's just around women's health around, you know, just proper informed consent of how things are actually working in our body, what that actually means. Like, you know, to say that it regulates your period is very misleading because mm -hmm. you don't actually have a period, nor do you ovulate when you're taking the oral contraceptive pill. So, you know, it's just not frankly, not true to say that it regulates your period because you actually don't get a period anymore you get a withdrawal bleed from the synthetic hormones that you're taking and in actual fact you know when the pill was initially um made and manufactured there was no inclusion of the sugar pills you know how you take the the hormone pill for three weeks and then you have or you know thereabouts and you have five days of the sugar pills or whatever it is um initially that was never included and so women would take the pill and not actually ever get that withdrawal bleed or that quote-unquote period where they would bleed for five days and the feedback that drug companies got from women was that that felt really unnatural um, and seemed really strange. Like, yeah, of course it does. And so the drug companies were like, well, how can we, you know, get around this with this consumer feedback we have? And so they actually introduced those five days or whatever it is of sugar pills every month to make it seem more natural. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel sometimes so scared and amazed at the same time that so many of us still don't know these things mm. thinking that uh, this is such an amazing alternative and I feel like 
come on it's just so it's it's so damaging from what i see like i'm sure probably you know in some cases a doctor going to see this is, is a solution that's not the best but needs to be used i don't know it's not from what i see but i'm not a doctor so i don't want to discredit all these things without knowing each case but I feel that I grew up with people who, when they got their first period, and because it is irregular when you're just adjusting, your hormones are just trying to understand what's happening and waking up and trying to work together. So they take their things to go on a contraceptive pill to help with that, thinking that was such a good thing to do. So I feel so sad, you know, to think of how many of my friends went to that experience. And for me, I felt so bad with the pill that I couldn't take it. I felt so bad that my body could not accept it. So I feel at the time I was so annoyed and I was thinking, why me? What's wrong with me? Because all my friends were on this journey. And now I feel like I'm so thankful that that didn't work for me, you know, that I didn't numb myself on that extent. But I, I do think of, you know, how, how things are different now and how I try to educate my girls to be seeing things in a different way, to accept our bleeding as something so sacred, to understand that our body is doing an, um, like such a powerful job to keep us healthy and to cleanse everything and to go through the changes. And the other thing that you were saying, and I just came this thought to my head when you're talking about your tests as well, is so many doctors, they don't ask the tests, the hormonal tests when they should ask, so they don't understand how to read the results. Have you had this experience before? I can't tell you how many times I will... You know, if I'm seeing a newer client and they've had tests done previously, because obviously if I've asked them to get them done through their GP, I'm telling them exactly what day they need to have them done. But they'll say, they'll send me some tests and um, they'll say, yeah, well, the doctor said my estrogen levels are fine or my testosterone levels are fine. And I'm like, well, what day of your cycle was this done? And usually they say, oh, does that make a difference? I'm like, well, yeah, it's it, it provides so much more context because we essentially, they're irrelevant unless we actually know where we would have wanted that hormone to be at that point in the menstrual cycle. Like, I mean, if we're say testing progesterone, um, you know, in the second half of the cycle when you're supposed to have ovulated and it's supposed to be high and it's, you know, low, then that makes such a difference. Like we need to know yeah. <laughs> what we're supposed to be looking at. Otherwise we have no nothing to compare it to. The reference ranges are null and void unless we know what we're looking at. And that's what I see, like why it's so important for us to be empowered and take charge of our health. how we can support ourselves during our menstrual cycle. And I do believe we have distinct phases on our menstrual cycle. And I would, I'm really curious to know, uh, how do you think it correlates what we eat and how we feel around each phase? Yes. So, I mean, it depends where you look online. There's lots of different um 
editions of this and a lot of people will talk about the different seasons so um you know correlating with the menstrual cycle when I'm first starting with someone I don't go into that I just talk about the two halves of the menstrual cycle because I find that conceptually this makes it easier for people to work on and also in this day and age, people often, I don't like to word the, use the word busy, but let's say like very full lives. Um, I don't see it as being, you know, as applicable to eating different things for different weeks across the month. Um, but the two halves work quite nicely. So if we start with, I guess, like an overview of the menstrual cycle. So day one is the first day that you bleed, that you have flow. A lot of women count it from the last day that they have um, blood or the day that that disappears, but that's actually incorrect. It should be the first day that you have flow is day one. Um, And that marks the start of your sort of follicular phase. um, And that goes up until um, ovulation. Now, while you're actually bleeding, of course, you're going to feel sort of quite insular like you don't you kind of just want to take it easy take it slow um you know stay at home as opposed to doing lots of social activities and that kind of thing and that's completely fine like I believe you should listen to your body and embrace that um as much as possible um and then after generally after you've sort of finished bleeding and you're really entering more into that follicular phase you're going to start feeling much better eventually much more sprightly and then once you get around that middle of the cycle which is around ovulation if you are ovulating um then it's kind of like the the best point in your cycle like that week around that time is honestly like just the best thing ever (laughs) you have lots of energy you feel amazing and you feel like you could just take on the world like you kind of feel like superwoman that week um and then after that period it's kind of like a it's not hopefully night and day, but it's like a gentle decline until you eventually get your next menstrual cycle. And that period is called the luteal phase. So um, they're the two main sort of phases of the menstrual cycle. Now in that luteal phase after ovulation, if hopefully ovulation has occurred, we've got a nice big rise in progesterone and that can really stimulate the um, the thyroid gland and increase that basal body temperature. And so for a lot of us, um, we'll notice that we get hungrier, our appetite increases. Um, and particularly before menstruation, we start to crave often more starchy carbohydrates and things like that. Um, And I believe part of that is our declining sort of um, neurotransmitters and things like that um, as a result of lower estrogen levels before the cycle arrives. We're kind of wanting like a bit of a pick-me-up sort of thing. Um, And also we become sort of less insulin sensitive around that time as well. And so that's in part the reason for craving more carbohydrates. Um, And then in that Um, sort of next phase of the menstrual cycle, particularly after ovulation, um, I'm sorry, after the menstruation has has ended, um, that's when you are actually more insulin sensitive. So although you're not craving carbohydrates around that time, you're actually more metabolically um, sort of sensitive and fit to be eating more carbohydrates around that time of the menstrual cycle. Um, In terms of what to be eating across different times, 
I think the foundational things, I mean, if you're not covering the foundations, which I'll cover now, I wouldn't worry about the two phases for the time being. I would literally just worry about covering the basics first because that will get you so far, even if you just do those. And I really believe that one of um, well, the two biggest things really, especially, um, you know, being additionally mindful of this before your cycle arrives is um, keeping a cap on things that are going to cause inflammation in your body. Um, and that would be for me, like sugar would be number one, refined sugar, being really mindful about that. Um, and then alcohol as well. So alcohol is one of the biggest things that is going to cause you, um, PMS and issues with estrogen, which a lot of people don't realize. Um, and then number three slash four for me would be all around, um, just really prioritizing real whole foods and um, also looking at blood sugar control. So I believe that at least, you know, as much as we can, we should really be trying to get in um, a balance of different macronutrients at each meal. So macronutrients would be carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Um And sort of I teach my clients a principle around building their plate correctly with these different macronutrients because um, if we don't have good blood sugar control consistently, it honestly is a recipe for the wheels falling off and certainly increase PMS in that second half of the cycle. That is so interesting. Uh, Two more things that I'm curious to to hear your view on that, that I always comment with with, people that I'm working with or my friends and family, is about coffee and milk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, coffee specifically or dairy or both? (laughs) Both can be separate. Coffee, having milk coffee and having dairy milk. Yes. Perfect. So I think with coffee, context really matters. Like for me, if I see someone in clinic and they're telling me that they're anxious a lot, I'm like, why are you drinking coffee? Honestly, you're just throwing fuel on the fire. Um, Coffee, we need to understand that it increases adrenaline and cortisol, our two stress hormones. It does put that additional sort of um, uh, foot on the gas in terms of our stress hormones. And so if you are already stressed and you are already prone to anxiety, don't make that worse with coffee. Honestly, like just um, swap that out straight away for something else. Um, If you do have issues with your menstrual cycle, um, I would not recommend ever having coffee first thing in the morning. Um, And I would make sure that you're always eating breakfast before you're having coffee because it's a lot harsher when it's on an empty stomach, particularly in the absence of any fats or proteins. Um, and I would always look at quantity as well. So of course, if I see someone having three to four coffees a day, this is another big red flag. Um, I don't ever recommend coffee after midday, even 11am, you know, if you're someone that struggles with sleep, then again, we need to look at coffee. Like maybe you're someone that, um, is very slow to metabolize coffee because we're all quite genetically different and some of us will metabolize coffee really really easily and some of us are going to take hours to break that down and if we're having a coffee at 2 p.m in the afternoon 
that can be definitely something that's keeping us up at night. So I think the context of looking at what's going on with someone else's, that individual sort of symptoms um, is really important. And um, then I generally recommend no more than one a day in most instances. Um, Again, if you're someone who's really prone to feeling anxious in that second half of the cycle, and that's one of your major PMS symptoms, like perhaps look at just really dropping that coffee out in the last two weeks or so and see if that makes a difference. And often that's huge. Um, When it comes to dairy, uh, I have become sort of less and less prone to pulling things out of people's diets unnecessarily. Um, And I do try and keep in as much as possible. Dairy is an issue definitely for a lot of people. And some of the key signs that dairy was an issue for you all along outside of say lactose intolerance um, would be ongoing sinus issues. So if you say have an ice cream or if you have a glass of milk and you feel mucusy in your mouth, that's a really good indication that that dairy is not agreeing with you. Other signs would be say if you were a kid that used to drink a lot of milk or yogurt and you had lots of tonsillitis, grommets, issues with your ears and things. Again, these are signs that um, so if you had immune issues with dairy all along. Um, so I always look at those factors. And then in terms of sort of like day-to-day at the moment um, with people, um, acne, I always test dairy-free with people um, or women that are struggling with acne because that is often enough to make a huge difference. Um, and yeah, then I'd sort of, it's a case by case basis. And again, quantity is really important for me. Like I'll always, if someone's just having, you know, a little bit of cheese here and there, it's going to be, I'm less concerned about it contributing to their symptoms as opposed to if they're having like whey protein in their smoothies, um, two coffees with milk in it, and then, you know, like cheese on top of their dinner or something like that. Then if they have a collection of symptoms that align with um, potential issues with dairy, I'm like, well, you know, maybe let's give it a go for 30 days and just see. And removing something like that for 30 days is obviously very low risk. It's free. If it's much longer than that, then yes, we need to be having a bit of conversation around calcium and where that's coming from and what nutrients you're potentially going to be missing out on and how we can look at sort of um, uh, subbing those in for something else. But 30 days is, you know, very low risk and you'll have a very good indication of whether that is helping or not after those 30 days. Does that help? I really like what you said. I thought you were just describing what my husband eats. <laughs> Luckily for him, it doesn't have a menstrual cycle. <laughs> but the, the one really good thing that um, you, you, I saw you saying was that you take this approach not being like radical, not saying like, oh, you're not going to eat anything or everything you do is wrong. With I, what I feel with some of us, we always feel this concern, when you're going to talk with a nutritionist? You know, mm. that they're going to say everything what you're doing is not okay and you need to change everything. So then makes feels like that's going to be super hard to achieve. Yeah. So it's really nice to see that you have this approach where understanding where this person is coming from and, you know, taking small steps towards something better. It's really good. I think like it's reassuring. And um, one of the things that for me, like, 
is super clear that we have a big connection between what we eat and how we feel throughout our menstrual cycle. But for those who are still not really 100% convinced, why do you think, do you think we should pay attention to our diet in order to heal our hormones? Well, I mean, if you just think about it from a very sort of logical, basic point of view, we have different nutrients in our body that perform different processes. So basically everything that goes on in your body, the fuel that sort of um, allows those reactions and those processes to happen is different nutrients and cofactors. Like just as an example, um, I often use this explanation because I think it's when the penny drops for a lot of people. With estrogen and other hormones, one of the or the main way that they're metabolized and what that means is basically detoxified and broken down from our body. So say we make estrogen, we use it, it's performed its task, and now our body actually needs to get rid of that because we don't want to have it build up in the body because the body's going to continue making it, right? So you need to clear that from your system in order to not end up with PMS and symptoms. So the way that that happens is it goes through two steps in detoxification in our liver. Then it gets moved through our bile and into our gut and we poo it out. Essentially, that is how we get rid of it. Now, those two steps in our liver um, are performed by certain enzymes. And say, for example, that step one in the liver requires something called CYP enzymes or CYP. They have a longer than name than that, but we'll just call them that for short. Um, now, those enzymes don't just, our body doesn't just make those enzymes from thin air. The raw materials that are needed to make those enzymes are specific nutrients. So things like iron and B vitamins for that particular enzyme to be made. So if we think about the way that we get those nutrients is through our diet and what we eat. So if we are not eating a nutrient replete diet and say, for example, we have existing deficiencies such as iron and B vitamins, which is not uncommon, then we actually don't now have those raw materials in order to make those enzymes. And that now means that we cannot metabolize that estrogen efficiently which can be a huge contributing factor in causing PMS. And so that's why I'm always talking about nutrient deficiencies. I think people don't realize that direct correlation between what you're putting in your mouth actually then creates those raw materials for your body to do all of the things that it does. And so if we don't have enough of that raw material, aka micronutrients, then a lot of those processes either can't happen or can't happen efficiently. So we end up kind of like a congested highway, right? Like if you think about it like that, those hormones need to move down the highway so that they can, you know, carry on and flow out of the body. And if you've got nutrient deficiencies going on, you're actually contributing to congestion on that highway, which, you know, results in symptoms. So I think for anyone that's struggling to understand how food can impact the menstrual cycle, obviously there's the actual ovulation side of things and the creation of the hormones, but that's one of the best explanations I have because I think people can then realize that, oh, like I actually don't have the building blocks to even function properly, right? If I'm not putting the right things in my mouth. 
That is so amazing. I think you made it so easy to understand. And, um, you know, I feel like it's, it's when I think of mental health, um, once like long, long ago, I heard one person say, oh, I used to work with this doctor, like um, a psychiatric doctor. And the first thing she would request was for the patients to also see a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, why is that? I couldn't really, mm-hmm. you know, make the link. And now I feel like, oh my gosh, you need to, you know, a part of anything you're doing or any disease or things you present, you need to look at your diet. You need to look what you're feeding your body and how this is, you know, maybe potentializing the problem or how this is making things harder for your body to get rid of things. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. just so important for us to really pay attention. And I think because of uh, we have so many things to do, we are always um, stressed out because of the way we live and now how we are living. I think it's easier just to eat something just, you know, out of the fridge that is being processed and, you know, packed and made it easier for us and i think i think like it's just in, we need to take a step back and start yeah. seeing the bigger bigger picture i agree and i think there's a just a big um systemic issue this is just sort of a manifestation of that but i think leads to a larger issue around society just wanting things that are quick and convenient and easy right like we see that so much I mean like if you think about generations ago or even our parents generation if they were having people over for dinner or doing a dinner party like they wouldn't start getting ready for that like I think about my grandma I mean obviously French so you know perhaps slightly different but if she was having people over for a dinner party she wouldn't start preparing for that dinner party the night of no 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 she would have started Mm -hmm. getting things organized and prepared days before Mm -hmm. because there was like time and um yeah I guess more appreciation around doing things properly rather than just getting things that are quick and easy and instant and I think that is a real issue with our society just wanting instant gratification over things and I think we see that not just in nutrition but across many different aspects yeah I feel like the same with um my background my family is from Brazil my grandmother's background is from Italy so she was like a lot my family's lots of things around food and what I what I remember growing up she didn't like to buy things from the store she she had this big resistance and I used to find like oh she's such a weirdo you know like doesn't want to buy things that are pre-made but she used to have her veggies and her flowers and her herbs and everything and she would take pride of that of working with that and until I was eight years old uh, I only drank milk from the cow, from my grandfather's cow. I Until eight years old, I never had any milk from the store because of how we used to live. But I feel like um, now it's so different. You know, it's, it's completely different as well. Like I feel I no longer drink milk from the cow. So that approach would not work completely. But I feel they used to 
take pride of that process mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. you know having that food of growing that food of making sure they didn't use anything that was toxic and what i feel now i feel like i'm a one step further of the craziness and i even think of like the energy of this this person when they are making this food and i remember she used to say to us like but you know how you don't know how this person is behind the store if you're sick or if something is going on and i was like i i could not make any sense of that and now i feel like wow she was so wise if i was just like more prepared to understand but i couldn't because i didn't want to be different i want to be just like the other child like the other kid mm -hmm. yeah and now i feel totally going backwards sometimes you know i feel like going really backwards on how i do things and how i want to do things and these are one of the main clashes i have at, like with my my husband because you know i don't want to give this milk from the cow i try to to buy like the organic milk that doesn't have permeate and things but i still feel like you know it's it's not that pure thing and also i feel it's so inflammatory so i don't want to give to my kids and he's like he wants to give it so it's such a a thing you know like a tension yeah. point and it's, it's just interesting how you know how things become different in a short span of time if we think just our lifetime how different they are how different our habits and how we eat it's crazy to think that and one thing that we touched a little bit was um, you're talking about contraceptive pills. I just would like you to share with us if you have any suggestions for people who are trying to get away from the pills or they are starting their journey back to their body without contraceptive pills. Yep, definitely. So my first question when I'm working with someone is always around like, have you done this before? And um, did your period come back straight away? Did you have any issues? Because generally that's a good indication if we can look at past experiences to what might happen. But if you've been on it for a long time or you've not transitioned off it before, um, I always recommend, you know, you need to go and um, obviously talk to your GP about when the best time for that would be. It's never sort of up to me to provide any advice around that. But I always want to look at, nutrient status because we know say if we're just talking about the oral contraceptive pill specifically that it does um cause a bunch of different nutrient deficiencies and from what we've just talked about in this podcast you obviously know now the impact that micronutrient deficiencies can actually have on your hormone function and let's also remember that if you've been on the oral contraceptive pill your hormones were basically not functioning right that was masked by hormones um, that are synthetic and so that's not an actual representation of your hormones or your period or anything like that um, so I always want to look at someone's micronutrient status so I always order a full spectrum of different um, bloods with the help of a GP of course I can order bloods myself as well but um, they're just not covered through um, Medicare and things like that so it is good if we can get um, someone else in your team who's able to um, help you with that so I always recommend full spectrum of different blood so we can ascertain whether you do have any micronutrient deficiencies if you do then I recommend 
recommend that we actually start trying to um, replenish those before you come off the pill. Obviously, we want to look as well at um, is your diet and lifestyle actually supporting hormone balance in general? Because if we say identify things like, you know, there's a lot of overtraining going on or you're drinking a lot of alcohol or there's something there's red flags in there, lots of caffeine, whatever it is, um, then we want to start to address those before you actually come off the pill because that will make the ride and the transition a lot less bumpy. Um, there are nuances in this, of course, like if you've got, you know, you have a specific hormone condition like PCOS or you have um, endometriosis or something like that, then that will be a little bit different as to what we would do. Um, and the other thing would be, you know, if you've got ongoing gut issues and nutrients and your gut is really where we want to start look at looking to correct those things before you actually come off. Because if we can put in some good groundwork for a couple of months before you actually stop taking it, then that will often make a huge difference to your experience coming off it, which is what we want. <laughs> yeah, because what I hear sometimes is, oh, I just came out of the pill. I thought everything was going to be amazing, but now my skin is breaking up and everything is so overwhelming. And, you know, I feel bloated. I feel, and I feel like, yeah, your body is kind of like going to a detox period before it can start healing. And when you do this preparation before, I think you're one step ahead. So it makes so much sense to do that. And um, when you're talking about PMS, we spoke a little bit before, but we have like so many issues. I feel like this is the time when usually people don't feel, you know, great. It's just before they get their period. So many people complain about bloating, food craving, brain fog, uh, headaches, and so much more. Do you have anything that you feel like, oh, if you take these three steps, is going to be amazing to support your body during that phase? Um, yes. And I would say that, again, it's going to be very different for everyone. But the basics I always look at, um, which I've sort of touched on, would be Food wise, like making sure that we're reducing inflammation through things like the sugar, the alcohol, the real food, and just really trying to prioritize the real food side of things. So really taking that burden off your body. The next thing that I would look at doing is adding in a good quality magnesium. So say something like an um, magnesium bisglycinate and bisglycinate is the molecule that the magnesium is um, bound to. So I recommend that over say something like a lot of the ones out there on the market would be like a magnesium citrate or a magnesium oxide. So they cause diarrhea. So just be conscious that not all magnesium is the same. You actually need to look at the label and check what it's bound to. So I'd recommend, you know, 300 to 350 milligrams or so a day of that, that can really help with symptoms. That's really the only supplement that I recommend to everyone across the board. Um, and then the last but not least thing would just really be looking at some environmental factors around like sleep and stress, um, making sure that you're sleeping as much as you can. So say like seven to nine hours a night um, and the stress side of things, just really thinking about what that total load is for you and what you can do. It's not 
sometimes we can't get rid of the stressful things in our life, but we can do other things to balance that out, whether that's um, journaling, putting in some more time in our calendar for us, or actually if there's loose ends in our lives that we can actually sort of tie up looking at what we can do to tie those up, whether that's delegating something to someone else in that period, um, but just really looking at what we can take off our plate. Um, I'd say they're the, the three sort of number one things that we can look at doing. Beautiful. And uh, when you're talking about magnesium, do you recommend that people take at night or there is any specific time you should be looking at the magnesium? Yeah, I generally recommend after dinner. Cool. And what are your thoughts around seed cycling? Yes, I have used it um, in clinic with clients. Look, there's not really, to my knowledge, any um, substantial or promising evidence around seed cycling. So if we're just talking about it from a specifically scientific or research point of view, I don't believe there's anything really to support it. Um, but in saying that if I've used it, it's as an adjunct to other things, I would never use it as like a standalone intervention. Um, but I do think that it can be a useful tool in um, women with amenorrhea or women who don't have a cycle at all and that we're trying to get back because I believe that it's something that actually helps to when you're so out of touch with that natural rhythm of your body and what your cycle is supposed to be like that's something that can actually or a tool that we can use to help you bring some of that back into your life while we're waiting for that period to come back um, because that's commonly what I hear is like the that disconnected feeling from your body and so I do think it can be really beneficial as um, part of the entire intervention but certainly not something I would rely on entirely. Yeah, I find it interesting what you just said like it's it's not proved scientifically. Yeah. I work with many things that are not proved scientifically, but they're also not unproved scientifically. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like, you know, sometimes we just need to uh, also understand that not everything is proved. And when we look at research, there are so much done uh, using women, but not in every phase of your menstrual cycle, because from what I understand, when they are using us as well in a trial, it's hard when we are, you know, different phase of our cycle or, or they would be preferring people that are premenopausal or something like that, just to make it easier and more linear yeah. for the results. So this is something that I also was just for me was like a big eye opening to see actually are they using same age as me people who are not on the pill, people who are on the pill, you know, to see like a variety of results or just they're going to like, like an easier model. And what I found like through my personal research and talking to friends who were doing like a doctor degree or something like that is very much known that, you know, this, this subjects might be out of reach and you should just comply with things that are easier to prove. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so back to you now, what is your relationship with your cycles? Yeah, I mean, I have had a pretty regular menstrual cycle ever since. Um, it is quite, I'm quite sensitive to stress. So that's definitely something I have to be careful with, like how much is on my plate. I'd say that's my sort of biggest um, 
sensitivity, but I definitely um, love getting my menstrual cycle and I, I will having my cycle and I don't, um, you know, I think when I was younger, particularly like when I would have those withdrawal bleeds on the pill, I used to try and skip it all the time. I didn't want to have it. And I just kind of felt like, oh, this is annoying, isn't it? Um, whereas mm-hmm. I don't have any of that now. I think obviously working with so many women that struggle with theirs um, and my also my own experience, I definitely don't take it for granted now. So I'd say I'm very appreciative of it. Wow, that's beautiful what you just said, because I feel I was talking to a friend the other week and uh, she's she was telling me, wow, you know, I'm having a little bit of period pain, but I'm feeling so grateful that I still have my cycle, that this means my body is giving me a signal that's healthy and I can conceive if I still want to. You know, I felt like, you know, we 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 were not taught to be grateful for that and to understand the true gift of this menstrual cycle and everything that we have been given to you know to to generate here and i feel like this is this is really really powerful to think like that do you have any special rituals during your menstruation i actually don't really i was thinking about this just before we started recording and I mean, I guess I probably do a bit more sort of nice um, pampery things around that and definitely take it really easy on the first day or two. If I am working, if it's a work day, then I just really do the bare minimum, which I obviously have the luxury of running my own business. Um, But certainly if it's the weekend, I just really try and um, not really do too much and just relax and take care of myself. Um, but yeah, that's really the main ritual. I mean, other things, I'm obviously very aware of where I'm at in my cycle all of the time now, because I've tracked it for so many years now. And I also use something called a daisy, um, where I'm constantly, um, tracking my, um, temperature changes and my fertility each month. So I've, I guess I'm so aware of where I'm at at each point that there probably are rituals I'm not even aware of I mean with like I'm quite active and I guess with my training and um, going to the gym and things like that I definitely taper things down in that last sort of five days or so before my period arrives and definitely day one or two I generally still try and exercise um because that makes me feel better um, around that time mentally. So I I definitely prefer some kind of exercise. I don't do nothing, Um, but I definitely take it easier in the lead up to, which is something that I probably wouldn't have done before. Yeah, I think once we become a little more conscious, you see how your body is responding. You're not um, just moving because you need to move or because you have a certain schedule. Yeah, so I think that's really interesting how we become, we change because we are aware. And one thing that you said, like, um, I, I ponder on that a lot because I also work for myself and I am in charge of my schedule and all the things that I take on board. And usually f- during my menstrual days, I do a lot of things different. I have like rituals and think because I work with plant medicines and I have 
the whole thing that I want to do. But I used to think that it was a luxury, but I don't think it's a luxury. I think this is something that we need. Our body is going to a massive process of transformation and our body needs us to slow down and to eat certain foods and to quiet down. You know, I feel like this has been indoctrinated on us, that this is a luxury, that this is something that is almost like self-indulgent if we do. And I have another podcast that has is like, you know, older because I do things for, in English and things in Portuguese as my main language. And one of the people that I interviewed for my other podcast that was amazing for me, she's, um, she has a business, like a big business that um, organ, she, she makes like essential oils and many like soaps and things like that. And on her business, all the employees that are women, and I think it's most of them, when they have their period, they can choose one day uh, to be at home and they still pay it for. So that for me was like the most human way to treat someone. And she says when she talks with other business owners, they feel like, how can you do that? How can you afford that? They are going to, you know... Do- lazy or just think like and she says like you know when on your luteal phase they make up for it you know they work so much you don't even have to worry about that and because i think they feel so respected as well that i feel like it's amazing like you know to have someone who got in in that position and i think that's why we need more women to be leaders to understand definitely yeah yeah, I mean, I think when I said luxury, I more so meant in terms of like, I do think that's great if we can be taking a day off um, around our cycle. And I know that there's some other countries that have introduced things like that. I think Japan is potentially one and maybe one in Scandinavia, I believe as well. Um, but I'm also meant like luxury is in control of my own schedule as opposed to say women who um, aren't, you know, maybe self-employed and have things that they have to do on that day unfortunately but it's yeah. tough and because i remember when i used to you know you know when i was starting it's like i was starting my career and working for other people just having to take a pill and go to work and paying and not feeling my best but i had to you mm-hmm. know because every month you're going to take a day off you know it felt like it, i didn't have that space i didn't even have that dialogue to yeah. feel that it was safe enough for me to say like i'm not okay and you know i can't do my best today i can't be here for myself how can i be here for others right Mm. so i feel like it's just you know changing slightly i think a lot more changes are going to come from that and i really hope that we are able to see the value on this and to to honor our body and everything that needs to go through for us Mm -hmm. and what is next for you um, great question. Next year, I'm doing a master's in reproductive medicine. So I'm going to do that um, over sort of a year and just a little bit. So I'm excited to start that um, equally sort of um, nervous in taking that on whilst also continuing to run my business. Um, but I'm sure I'll make it work. So yeah, I'll be starting that in February next year. Um, and doing that over about a year or just over. 
because I'm sort of doing a um, hybrid part. It's not really part-time, but it kind of is um, sort of schedule. So looking forward to that and how I can bring in more of that um, into my business as well over the next few years. Um, and in terms of sort of my business, um, I'll be restructuring a few things next year. I'm still taking on one-on-one clients, um, as well as continuing with a couple of my group, um, programs as well. Um, and that's about it really in terms of my business. And then I think, um, possibly building a house next year as well, which is also very exciting. Yeah, lots of new beginnings, huh? Yes, yeah. yeah really cool, really exciting times. And what would you do if you knew you could never fail? This was such an interesting question. When I read it, it took me a while to sort of really think about it. And to be honest, I um, I think sort of starting a business and going all in and that was a really big move for me because it is a really big leap of faith where you, um, you know, you're sort of taking that leap, you know, with, um, I guess, somewhat of an informed decision that it will work, but you never know, right? Um, and so it is a, um, a bit of a risk. And I think um, that was like my, my big move recently where I thought, um, yeah, this is what I did. Um, and yeah, I mean, a couple of years on now and I definitely haven't failed yet. So (laughs) it's going well. And I think, um, yeah, I don't really know if there's anything that would hold me back in that sense. Like I'm not really someone who would, um, shy away from trying something or doing something because I was worried about failing. So I think, I know, I don't know if that sounds sort of arrogant or not but I thought I sort of stumped with that question because I think I I'll always I'm that person that will just always give it a go even if I'm not 100% sure if there's something that I want to do then I'm just going to go for it yeah I always think like I'll probably get a lot of tickets (laughs) no I will never fail that so (laughs) that'd be amazing bonus (laughs) and what do do you wish you knew five years ago Um, I think I just, as I've gotten older, I've probably uh, really built up my, um, sort of inner confidence and knowing and trust in myself. And I think as a younger woman, I was still developing that, didn't have that really. I didn't really back myself like I do now. And I guess I just wish that I had fostered that a little bit younger I sometimes think like gosh if I was the person you know five or ten years ago that I am now my life would probably have moved on like very very quickly but it all happens in perfect timing like I'm very 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 happy with where I'm at now and I really love my life I love um the people in it and I kind of think you know if I'd have been a different person then you know that all wouldn't have happened in the same timing that it has so I do think that it's all um, unfolding perfectly yes yes I agree with you and thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us um, for people who are not familiar with your work yet how they can find you yeah absolutely thanks so much for having me I've really 
loved this conversation. Um, the best place to get in touch with me if you want to talk to me is probably over on Instagram. So my handle there is Selene Douglas underscore nutrition and feel free to come and find me and even send me a message if you know there's something that you resonated with or you have a question for me. Um, equally, my online home, my website is just my name. So selendouglas.com and there you can find, you know, blogs, my own podcast as well. Um, which you can find on, um, Apple podcasts or Spotify. There's, um, you know, obviously everything about me, my services and everything like that. So yeah, that would be the two best places. Thank you so much. And I'm sure we chat soon. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate you and I hope this episode helped you to see things in a different perspective or maybe even inspire you to change something that has been bothering you for a while. If you feel that it moved you in any way, please do share with your friends, with anyone that you think might need on through your social media or anything that you feel that should be done. If you'd like to work with me in a different platform, please get in touch. My email is hello at robertacrosley.com. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Bye.